Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Tuesday, September 27th. You are God's house. Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9-17 from the Message Translation, which reads, You are God's house. Using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I design blueprints. Apollos is putting up the walls. Let each carpenter who comes on the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there's going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part in the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God, and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred. And you, remember, are the temple. This is God's Word. The sanctuary was empty and the Holy of Holies untenanted. So reads Book 5 of the Histories by Tacitus, commenting on the discovery by Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, or Pompey for short, upon entering the Holy of Holies within the temple in Jerusalem in 63 BCE. When Rome arrived on the scene in the person of commanding General Pompey to take control of the land it called Palestine in the year 63 BCE, that's before the Common Era, Pompey did what any conqueror would do. He went to inspect the fruits of his, that would of course be Rome's, victory. Entering the temple complex in Jerusalem, he pushed aside each successive row of protesting priests and brazenly walked through the gates and then through the final heavy veil barring entrance to the most holy place of all Israel. And he found nothing. The room was empty. No altar, no ark, no image, no God. Nothing. The Jews never forgave him for his sacrilegious intrusion, considering it God's judgment on him. When he was assassinated some 13 years later in the wake of his lost power struggle with Julius Caesar for domination over the vast Roman Empire. But the reality was that a pagan king had had the temerity to enter the most holy place. And nothing happened. No divine fire issued to consume him like Nadab and Abihu of old. No leprosy smote him as it did trespassing Uzziah, an Israelite king, and a good one up to that point at least. Nothing. He came, he saw, and he walked away with a shrug. The holy place of Israel, where there should have been some visible sign, some marker, some image of this God of theirs, at least so he thought, was just an empty room. 
Now, track forward less than a hundred years and watch as that same imperial power of Rome performed its latest act of imperial terror, the crucifixion of an innocent man, a scapegoat named Jesus of Nazareth, the charge King of the Jews inscribed over his head in triplicate. At three in the afternoon, under a suddenly darkened sky, Jesus breathes his last after a loud cry, and then the earth quakes, the rocks split, the tombs are opened all across those hills, and the great veil through which Pompey had strolled decades before is torn from top to bottom, as if hands from heaven reached down and ripped it open, exposing to the view of all what Pompey had seen. Nothing. It was just an empty room. We frequently speak of the veil being torn in terms of showing that we all now have access to that most holy place, or alternately showing that God was now released from the confines of this holy space, now to be poured out on all flesh. Maybe. Maybe yes on both counts. But perhaps there's more going on here, or less. I think it was the Irish theologian Peter Rollins whom I heard observe years ago that here was the great culminating act of the great divine magician. The damsel is the damsel is in the box, concealed by a heavy veil, when suddenly the magician rips away the veil with a loud ta-da, revealing nothing. The damsel wasn't there, and in truth, she never was there. She being, in this case, the Divine Presence. The traditional Hebrew word for it, again, is Shekinah, which, by the way, just happens to be feminine, which the heaven of heavens cannot contain, let alone a box built by human hands, no matter how grand and godly. It was as if, in that moment, the Divine Magician, in ripping away the veil, was breaking a spell unveiling the reality that empty room could only point to, the reality of God with us, of God in us, that the temple was never made of stone after all, but of flesh and blood and beating human hearts. And some 50 days later, that reality burst upon the scene of those same temple courtyards with the sound of a rushing of a mighty wind, revealing the living, breathing, moving, speaking temple within the temple in the person of 120 mostly Galilean peasants speaking in every dialect the wonderful works of God. Not that this has cured us, of our nearly obsessive urge to build large edifices to somehow house the presence, much of that misguided, much of it serving a useful collective purpose of gathering the wider community of God for mutual edification and worship. Whatever the case, the fact remains that nothing we build is ever the sanctuary. Nothing we build is ever the temple. At best, it can only house the temple for a moment, because we are the temple, all of us, together, living stones being perfectly fitted together in a living, breathing, united, expansive, common humanity with the heart of Jesus beating at its core. What a transforming message and metaphor for a divided community like that of Corinth, to whom Paul's words are addressed. 
What a transforming message and metaphor for this divided community, too. As you pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder this. You are God's building. You are the temple of God. Note that the you here is plural, as in the southern y'all, binding us all together into one common edifice of humanity, being drawn up together into divine realities. What does this imply about all of our petty strifes and divisions that not only fragments the larger community, but our own believing community? How does this reality of us, all of us, being fitted together as a living, breathing, moving temple challenge the way you are currently relating or not relating with those around you? Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. There is only one God. There is only one King. There is only one body. And that is why we sing. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, bind us together with love. You are the family of God. You are the promise divine. You are God's chosen desire. You are the glorious wine. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. Amen.